infantry, all Marines, with the highest level of respect, for we have earned our place as Marines, and we'll accept nothing less than that from you! This is my rifle. There are many like it, but this one is mine. My rifle is my best friend. It is my life. I must master it, as I must master my life. Without me, my rifle is useless. Without my rifle, I am useless. What is going on, all my crayon eaters out there? Welcome to the Jarhead Podcast, Season 2. Our special guest tonight is uh, is uh, a true uh, true hero, and we, we don't throw that word around here loosely. We like to make fun of the squids a little bit, but uh, any of the, the team guys, we uh, got our know is SEAL Team 6, and I know that it's not SEAL Team 6. We'll probably go into that a little bit, but uh, Dev Grew, he was with the Bin Laden raid. And uh, this guy was there, and this guy is is, is one of the true uh, greats out there. More importantly, he's a dog handler, that the canine handler for the teams back in the day. And and you guys have probably heard of Cairo, and this was the handler of Cairo, and he's wrote a book called No Ordinary Dog. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. And um, before we do, let's talk real quick about uh, the podcast. This season, we want to send a shout out. This season is brought to you by our good friends over at Hyperion Munitions. Uh, Hyperion is a veteran-owned and operated manufacturer that, that are based in Florida. They, they have a large, wide range of pistol and rifle caliber ammos, but they also distribute a large amount of firearms and accessories from other companies. Um, they have veteran ammo, uh, CEO firearms, Garrisar, Pelican cases, uh, Ariskany Arms and Operator Coffee. They've got a lot of great stuff, but thank you to Hyperion Munitions for uh, sponsoring this season. Uh, go check them out over at HyperionMunitions.com. So I want to bring our special guest, Will Chesney. How you doing, Will? And thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate you. Doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. How are you? No problem. Um, so I want to kind of talk a little bit uh, first about Cairo. And Cairo is... The famous dog, and I guess he's probably, I don't know, do you think he's probably the, the most famous of the team dogs, the working dogs, uh, since he was on you know, Neptune Spear? Is that kind of how it goes with him? I guess he's one of them, but he's not the only one. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot know, of there was, yeah. yeah, it's just I think that's the one that's kind of got a lot of attention. But uh, I read your book, and I listened to the book. I listened to the audio book, and it's phenomenal. And if you listen to the audio book, it's actually will – uh, doing the audio book, so it's pretty cool. So it's kind of get that flavor of the first person. But, you know, it's kind of going into this. What kind of got you in the idea of writing the book? Well, Kyra's name was released in the media pretty soon after the mission happened. I think that was the only name that was released. Um, over the years, there were just some things that weren't completely accurate. What we did was a, piece, a big piece of history. Um joining the military I, I read books I watched movies before going in and I, we all did most guys did maybe there's a few that didn't but you know eventually I, I never thought I would and then eventually I just kind of came to the realization that it is a large piece of history and I want to tell my dog story I love Cairo I'm pretty biased but I think a lot of people love Cairo he really was a good dog We're very fortunate we got to do some great things uh, large piece of history and when I saw the fake things out there, not fake, but not so accurate, 
figured we might as well tell a story. In the process of telling a story, I can um, bring attention to just how amazing these, uh, these dogs are. I mean, just the things that they have done for us is crazy. We're just one uh, dog team that happened to be chosen for the one mission. You know, there's a lot of other guys out there that did a lot more than me. There's a lot of dog stories out there that are amazing as well. But I can bring a little bit of attention to that and uh, tell one of those stories. It brings attention to the – when people hear those stories, it brings attention to the foundations that some of my teammates have started, like my buddy Jimmy Hatch and Spike's K9 fun, doing some amazing thing, Mike Ritland, uh, John Devine, all those guys running great foundations. I can bring a little bit of attention to those guys. Great. Um, those dogs deserve it. They're doing really good things for those dogs. They, they, they deserve it. Uh, not only yeah. that, I know a little bit about my own personal story, and we get into that as well. So that was kind of the whole reasoning behind writing the book and you know going through that, helping maybe helping some people with my own personal story too. Yeah, and we're going to maybe talk a little bit about the mental health side. I know that you've been a big advocate of making sure that veterans are getting taken care of mentally. Veteran Ammo is the ammunition brand produced by veteran-owned and operated Hyperion Munitions, focused on the best quality training, defense ammunition, and hunting products. They leverage their military backgrounds to ensure the ammunition works every time. They offer products in centerfire handgun, rifle, and shot shell categories and are always adding product offerings. Go visit the Hyperion Munitions website and click on the Veteran Ammo tab. You know, and that's one of those things that I don't think that people quite understand is, um, yes, they are their dogs, but they are teammates. You know, listening to you talk and, and when I say read the book, I'm going to say that I listen to it, but uh, I'm a Marine dude. I, I can't read too well, but uh, dude, I'm the same uh, <laughs> uh, listening to the book and reading the book, um, it, it's obvious that the, these dogs are their actual teammates. And I know that there was a, um, a mission that you guys went on that I know that there was a little disappointment that was, I think it was Cairo was your first off, but one of the dogs didn't get the medal that the rest of the uh, the squadron or the platoon got. So uh, I love the fact that you took it very seriously. That this is and everyone thought, hey, this is not just a dog. This is this is part of our team. Um, so when we talk about canine handling, and I know that you said that you've always kind of grew up around dogs, but you never had any really formal training. When you talk about going into this the, the SF world, being a canine handler, um, part I don't want to give too much of the book away. You guys got to go read it, but part of it, you guys have specific maybe places that you bring the dogs in that are, are trained. When they bring, are brought in, how much work do you guys have to, how long before it actually goes on, um, it, it's its first mission and all that before you get it to the time you guys are going out there together all depends on the dog every dog's different like every person uh, if good trainers that go overseas and people that select the dogs and bring them back and you know being a seal you go through a selection process if anybody hasn't heard it's called buds basic underwater demolition seal training it's pretty tough there's a lot of stuff on it out there uh, the dogs go through their own little seal training program as well and um, if they make it through that, then we start. I mean, the training never ends. You're always, yes, it's, it's consistent. You're always working up for something. What's, the, what's that? That's it. You're always working up for something. There's always yeah. a work up for something. There's always yeah. something. I mean, like my dog might be better at explosive odor, and your dog might be better at tracking or something. And so I got to put more work into that. Your dog's different. Got to put more work into that. I mean, 
I mean, Kyle was perfect, right? He had no work. I didn't even have to train him at all. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think it's interesting because I know that um, you were hesitant at first about deciding whether or not you want to be the handler because you knew at that point you had to be a SEAL, but you also had this extra added duty and responsibility on. Can you kind of go through that process of, of deciding what made that decision the right decision to go ahead and be the handler? So when you become a SEAL, you have other jobs, responsibilities, you would know, be sniped. Kind of, I was drawn to being a SEAL. I would have done whatever it took to make it, unless I was physically injured or whatever. Once you're there, you just kind of, what are you interested in? Skydiving, breaching, sniping, you just kind of um, make yourself more, more available to that area. Um, I saw how valuable the dogs were. I saw um, a little demonstration early in my career. Didn't really comprehend. It was just a small, quick demonstration, which it covers in the book. And then once I got to my squadron and I, I went and deployed and I saw it in real life, how valuable the dogs were. It was, uh, I was always a dog guy growing up, loved dogs. Um, I wanted to make myself more valuable. Like my buddy Jimmy says, you're either an asset or a liability. I wanted to go work. I worked my ass off to get through buds and be there. I love my guys. I wanted to work as much as possible. I wanted to make myself as valuable as possible. Uh, and since I love dogs and I saw how valuable they were, they, I mean, they literally saved lives over and over again. And there's a saying in the book, I remember being in the team room once and like, hey, raise your hand if, ever, if the dog's ever saved your life. And just everybody's hand pretty much went up. It was like pretty crazy to see. And most guys said, you could sit there and tell dog stories all day long about this and that. And, you know, that's that's just our group. I was, I saw you had um, old Mike Glover on here. And oh, Glover. Yeah, he was on a few weeks ago. Yeah. His podcast. And he was telling me the story about his dog. And I mean, like literally goosebumps. Like it's crazy. And that's his group of guys and uh you know i think that's what draw me in i, I listened to him on, on, on yours as well and uh i think me and mike were quite a bit alike except i drink way too much <laughs> no i hear you smart man he didn't booze it up as much uh but i think we were yeah. we sound a lot alike. what's up oh, i'm sorry go ahead go ahead no i said we sound a lot alike he was um very passionate about his job we all were i wanted to be there wanted to do my job i saw I love dogs. That looked like a cool job, and uh, not everybody wanted to babysit a dog. Sometimes it's a it's a big responsibility. You're not always working with the dog too, and if you're not, you know you you gotta kind of watch the dog. And other people are off doing fun stuff, and you're like, shit, I'm stuck here with the dog. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, but if I like, you know, if I had the that the one opportunity to get a a fine that saved one life, one of my guys from getting hurt, injured, killed. Perfect. It's it's extra work that I'd love to dedicate my time into, and it's something I was interested in because I love dogs. So, I guess long story short, <laughs> that's it. No, I hear you. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I don't want to go into a whole lot about the the whole buds because I'm sure you get asked that every place you go. But I want to ask a question instead of saying because I know the answer. To the first one, the first question that I, I have some emails that were sent saying, Hey, can you ask this? And one of them was, did you ever through buds um, ever think that this wasn't worth it? And I'm thinking he wouldn't have made it if that ever crossed his mind. So I'm not going to ask that one, but I will say this, I will ask this. Do you remember a specific time when you said, Holy hell, this is, this is a, this is like the craziest part of, 
of buds. Was it Hell Week or what was it? Well, Hell Week was crazy. That's the best sleep I've ever had in my entire life. You want to push yourself to the limit? You go try Hell Week. That's a good way to test yourself. Uh, I wasn't a fast swimmer. I was pretty comfortable in the water. I, had, you know, I was just slow, <laughs> real comfortable. So, yeah, ocean swims. I could run those four mile time runs all day long. I had. I don't know, guys make fun of me. I had a pretty big ass. and like, dude, how do you run so fast? They'd get mad at me. But when it came to the water, I was slow. We did a five-and-a-half-mile nautical mile ocean swim in Buds. That was the second best sleep I've ever gotten in my life. Not a big swim. <laughs> that was me and my swim buddy. We had, you know, it was we put out. And we had fun out there. We, we got to swim with a seal or a sea lion through the kelp bed. Or a real seal, like and the animal seal, not, not – yeah, <laughs> two wannabe seals were swimming with a real seal. It was pretty cool. <laughs> he was following us. We would chase him. We would chase off. So we did mess around a little bit. We, I swear, I didn't know the thing was timed. And it, whatever. I was eighteen year old kid. Maybe I wasn't paying too much attention. I understand. I understand. At the no, end, that was one of the best stories that I there in the book. One hundred percent. That was the greatest part. Well, not the greatest, but as far as the buds part of the book, that was the best story you told in the book. I love this. So the swim was great. We got done, but the crossing the finish line, like you didn't complete the time. <laughs> and my buddy looked up like, well, what time? There's not a time, but uh, cool. We're doing it again tomorrow is what we were told. And like I said, we went back and got some sleep. And I remember thinking like, holy shit, that's, that was some good sleep. Besides Hell Week, it's the best sleep I've ever gotten. Uh, but I was pretty sore the next morning. And uh, it's like another five and a half miles. I was like, oh, man, that was probably the one time where I was like, okay. I don't – it wasn't that I was going to quit. I was just going to get out there and kick until my body gave up. I don't – I just didn't physically think – I mean, we would have done it. I just was like, all right, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to just do it. And then until <laughs> – my legs will probably lock up and you'll just come get me. But uh, so you do your inspection, pre-inspection. You know, everybody's very safe. What we're doing is pretty dangerous stuff, so the – Instructors are always safe. You're doing safety inspection, all your equipment, doing that. We do that, get in the water. As we're getting in the water, I lose one of my fins. <laughs> ah, so right off the bat, too, was it? It's like right off the bat. Right off the bat. <laughs> the one time out of all the times we did ocean swims, we were in the ocean a few times. You know, we did a few swim. Out of all those times, I lose it on that one. I didn't say anything. I'm like, I told my swim buddy, I'm like, oh, man. Like, hey, buddy, I lost my fin, so we're going to figure this out. And I just planned on, I'm, I'm not telling the instructors, we're just going to get out there and do it until hopefully I find a fin out there. Um, on the way out of the, in, in, through the surf zone, the instructors called us back in. Oh, thank God. <laughs> oh, no. I guess, weren't they? Uh, what's that? They were just fucking with you, right? Yeah, they were fucking with us real good. <laughs> you got us, you got me good, you fucker. That was a good <laughs> Those instructors yeah. there just like, you know, that's that's everybody's a, a comedian. I'd say every pretty much every team guy's a comedian. You got your couple guys here and there, but it's how we get through the basically the hard times. It's everything yeah. sucks and then we all play grab ass and it's jokes and everybody's a comedian and this instructors are comedians too. Oh, yeah. And that was a good one, man. And uh, but my, one of my best friends, Jared Shaw, on the way in, I was just happy that the swim got canceled. I didn't care. I lost my fin. I'll figure that out later. <laughs> on the way in, my buddy, I see my buddy's like, I found a fin. I 
he handed it to me. So it actually ended up being a real good day. I remember right after that, I was pretty happy. We didn't have to do the swim. I was pretty happy. My buddy found my my swim fin. I, was, I still owe him for that. Thanks, buddy. And <laughs> it's just such a good feeling. We went we, every morning. We would uh, say the Pledge of Allegiance, and we would all get together, raise the flag, and do all that stuff. And it was just like, yeah, it was beautiful out there on the where we were at, and it was a good day. It was a good yeah. day in Bunk. Awesome. Uh, training too, so obviously you know. Getting, getting close to the end is feeling pretty good, too. <laughs> right. Uh, Clover, I know there was a question out there from maybe Budget. you want to bring that up? Yeah, I can. And I actually had one, too. So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, uh, go for it. That works out. So, yeah, Budget was asking, um, are there specific breeds that are used for the canines? For us, there are. We use the... Belgian Malinois, Dutch Shepherds mostly, but uh, you know, law enforcement can use just German Shepherds. Um, we like the Mals because they're a little smaller. You know, the Shepherds can get up to 120 pounds sometimes. Their hair is longer. We work in hot environments a lot. The Mals have shorter hair. They might be able to get in smaller spaces. They're a little more agile, but uh, they're both just as smart. They're both great working dogs. I mean, I think for the for police, having a 120-pound dog come at you if you don't need it to get overheated, you know, that's a big dog. Uh, for us, the mouths, they have a lot of fight in them, too. They're real smart. But, I mean, what's the job the dog's going to go do? You know, for hunting dogs, you're going to want a lab, sled dogs, you want huskies sure. and stuff like that, and just every dog is different. For us, it was the Malinois. Smart, capable, lots of energy, man. I got two right now. Uh, it's keeping me busy, but there's a good thing. Sometimes too. Now, with with the dogs, uh, with the canine units, are they? Is there a hierarchy or a rank with them, like there are with the humans? Yeah, I mean, we're the dads, though. They know they're part of the pack. Well, I mean, amongst the dogs themselves, or do you have different canines that are a higher level or or ranking than others? No, you have your Every dog's the same. Every dog has his handler. He's dad. Everybody else is his uncle. That's the team. And then um, in that hierarchy, I mean, there's some dogs that we do let work together if they're okay to work together. But we mostly keep them separated. Mm -hmm. Some guys will push it, but in the, I mean, in the in the kennel, you just know which dogs work. Like some dogs have more problems than others. Let's be honest. They were just like people. I sure. Mean, I wasn't the best seal in my team by far. <laughs> Let's just be honest about it. In the kennel, you have your dogs like Cairo and a few others. They were like, if I were to get shot, I could somebody could pick up the leash and take Cairo, and probably no problems. It was just one of those. Some of the dogs, some dogs might be a little bit more of an asshole. You might pick up that leash, and you better be careful, know what you're doing. He's going to bite you, or he might not listen to you. I don't know. Just different dogs, different temperaments. But uh, I guess if that answers your question, yeah, yeah. Now, you were talking about, which is interesting because it's part of the book that I love. So, you guys, you did several deployments with Cairo, and then the, the time came when you were going to be separated. And that's just kind of the way it happens. You can't be together the whole time. And then all of a sudden, you're at Jumpmaster School, and you get this call. And so... I'm not. I don't want to go in too much, as I know a lot of it uh, can't be talked about with Neptune Spear and the Bin Laden raid. But that's like you said earlier. That's part of history, and especially with with Cairo. Um, 
how did that process happen when you were doing another school and all of a sudden, you know, I don't think people realize SEAL Team 6 or DevGur, whatever you guys called, I know you call it SEAL Team Blank in the book, but whatever you guys call it internally, it doesn't matter because I know you guys can't talk about that, but, you know, people know it as 6, but when they don't realize it's not just like one team, it's a squadron. There's multiple teams inside this squadron. So do they, they handpicked like the best of the best for specific missions. How did it feel when you found out finally that you and Cairo were picked for what now goes down as the greatest military op probably ever? Just felt very lucky. I mean, I'm, I'm not just saying this. I honestly was surrounded by some amazing men. The only reason I was picked for that mission was because of Cairo, no doubt about it. Um, so when I found out, it was just an honor to be able to be part of the mission. How that whole process happened was we just returned home from deployment. Cairo was a great working dog. They knew how, uh, his abilities. They knew my abilities as well. I'm not trying to downplay myself. I'm just saying it is what it is. Um, we just got returned from deployment. We were fresh. Um, I was at a school with one of my best friends. His name is Nick Check. Yeah. Sacrificed his life saving an American hostage. Hostage. Uh, he's a great man too. Hmm. I was at school with him. I got the call to. I think the flight was already booked. It's at this so and so time. Check out, and we'll see you in the morning. And uh, grab Cairo. Twenty something years old, being SEALs my entire life. Um, that job, just being a SEAL. Period. You're fairly busy. It's it's not just a job, it's your life. It was my life, that was my family, it was everything. So it was nothing normal or nothing unnormal un to have my boss call and say, hey, jump on a plane, something's going on. I don't have anything else going on besides the school, so okay. I expected it to be something cool no matter what it is. I don't care. Gonna get to go hang out with my friends anyways and go hopefully do something cool. So at the, at the uh, time, I think it's interesting because at the time you weren't you weren't working with Cairo. So when he says grab Cairo, you probably knew something was probably going on, right? Because you weren't yeah, with him at that point. Definitely. Knew something was going on. I hope it's cool. Doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah. I don't care. I'm 20 something years old. My job is awesome. I love my job. I love the dude. I'm going to go pick up. I'm going to go do what my boss says. I'm going to go check out of the school. So I go back and I see my buddy Nick and I'm like, hey, dude, we're, we got to go home. And Nick's like, no, I'm not. I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't get a call. I'm like, okay. That's weird because, you know, I say this again, Nick was an amazing guy. I'm like, it's just weird that they're calling me back and they're not calling you back. Probably, like, you're, you're pretty badass. I don't know why they're calling me back. They're not calling you because of Cairo. Okay, so they're calling me back because of Cairo. I uh, yeah. tried to check out of the school, but it was a little difficult, and I was on a time crunch. Something important was going on. My boss called, said to get back. I tried to check out. It wasn't going too That's good. Great story also, that was awesome. It was pretty funny. It wasn't obviously what he did. It was like, you know, <laughs> I ended up just taking off and um, show up the next day. With my buddy, I guess somebody had asked the next day. My buddy Nick decided to call me or text me or however. He's like, hey, uh, you know, they were asking where you went in class today, and I told everybody you quit. <laughs> that was a good one. It's a good one. So and, and, and I'll say that's something that you know, you know, uh, most guys are not going to quit, especially at school. So, uh, well, friend, having having fun with you. There, we were the only two seals there, and seals right. are kind of known for not quitting. <laughs> so, 
him saying the next day, like, oh yeah, he quit. And just, he was a funny, he was a funny guy. I'm sure he didn't even uh, crack a smile. Just dead serious. Yeah, yeah he quit. <laughs> not, so, not, not so ahead and picked up. What's that? As he didn't think twice about throwing you under the bus. Oh, not at all. No, he got me good. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I ever got him back for that one. At least not that good. Yeah. Well, can a trainer or handler get to keep the canine after time is served? They can. You, um, you have to put in the proper paperwork. Uh, these dogs are working dogs. I was pretty lucky to get Cairo. People ask, like, what makes them so different? I mean, these are working animals that you're asking to, like, go into a room and fight somebody twice their size, bite somebody, get into a fight, skydive, fast rope, like, caliber of that dog is a pretty high energy fighting dog and you know to be able to come home take your vest off turn that switch off is what we say and kind of be almost a family pet it's pretty cool not all dogs have that um, but at the end of the day when these dogs get retired you have to evaluate the dog's temperament and the home the dog is going to just like as I said earlier they're different just like every every person um, so and every organization is different too you know the Air Force handler program might have different rules than we do even in, in the seal my team might have different rules than your team we all abide by the rules and every command has their selection process to make sure that it's not fair for the dog to go home if it's an aggressive somewhat aggressive dog to send that dog home to a house full of kids You're setting those kids up for failure and the dog and everybody so they do every. I'm assuming everybody does their due diligence. You assess the dog, the temperament of the dog, the handler, the hits abilities, what the home looks like. I mean, uh, when I was assessed, there was a couple of other guys that wanted Cairo as well because, of course, Cairo is an amazing dog. Um, if I wasn't in the position to take him, not only if I was working as a SEAL, I wouldn't have been able to be home to take care of him. I was single. They wouldn't have given him to me, even no matter if he was my dog or not. Um, it wouldn't have made any sense. Uh, I, in the book, it covers some of my traumatic brain injury and TBI, along with some other issues, drinking and issues I was experiencing. They needed to make sure I was in the right mental state to even care for an animal. But right. yeah. I was, and having Kyra around was good for my mental state. And I had help with my girlfriend, Natalie, at the time, too have Cairo around and since I was going through a bunch of medical processes at the time I was home able to take care of them and they saw that I was it was a good fit and getting them home it was great I got to um right I mean cancer sucks and so and I want to go into the 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 way that he helped you through your demons and, and your dark times and all that in a minute but another follow-up question um and, and, and before I ask this question you know when I when I was in the core we my best friend was our canine guy and when he got out, he was given the opportunity. Now, this is a long time. I'm old as fuck. So, um, you know, when he got out, um, he was given the opportunity to purchase Zeus. And I think it was like five grand, which in the grand scheme of things, the amount of money they put into these dogs, people have no idea. Five grand is a steal for. And he, he ended up utilizing Zeus with doing some Blackwater contracting work. Uh, working for the UN and all of that. And Zeus obviously has passed away since, but he was able to utilize him. Uh, that parlays in this question about how long of, of service time can a canine be in active duty? Uh, Cairo lasted about nine years. You know, it just depends on the dog and the injuries. Cairo was shot 
before the Bin Laden mission, he was shot through his chest and through his leg where they put a steel plate. And it wasn't even sure if he was going to recover from that, but he did. Then you never know how long he's going to last from those injuries. And, you know, a dog, there was other dogs that have been exposed to blasts and all kinds of other things. You never know. Some dogs get hip dysplasia. Just depending. Yeah. Just depending. Um, we, I think we receive most dogs in their two to three years fairly trained and then we train what we want and what we don't want in them. Training never stops and then you just work the dog. They're, they're members of our family. They're members of our team. They're members of our family. Um, yeah. We don't just sacrifice them. We always take care of them best of our abilities and they last, Kyra lasted nine years. It was a good dog. Some dogs last four from the last time. You just, you just don't know. It just depends. So there's not a set time. If everything works out perfectly, no injuries and all that, it's not like, hey, they've got a four-year enlistment or anything like that. It's what the dog can handle until it can't handle it, basically? As far as we did, yeah. There might okay, be good. Other, other places, but as far as us, yeah, Cairo was a great working dog, and you know, even when he was starting to get older, he still makes a good spare dog. Unfortunately, these dogs get injured and killed quite often. To have a dog you can plug and play, it's nice to have, especially when they're saving their lives. So he worked for a long time. Garisar is a Florida-based international military arms manufacturer and equipment supplier. They produce customized solutions for American and international law enforcement, governmental agents, and the military. Garisar manufactures both forged and billet AR-15 lowers, dedicated 9mm lowers, and 308 upper and lower receivers. So go check out the Hyperion's Munitions website and click on the Garrisar Arms tab. Yeah. Uh, Clover, do you have anything you want to bring up or ask right now? Yeah, I mean, I think it's more of a comment, but I mean, it, you know, we can follow up on it or whatever, but well, that's it's amazing how long Cairo uh, was in there. That I, I, I wasn't expecting that. You know, I was four, four years, okay, maybe I was expecting it. So that gets me to thinking that, the, the training programs as far as breeding these dogs, training them and all that, that has to be almost a 24-7, 365 gig to have dogs ready when, you know, one gets injured or it's time for one to retire, whatever the case may be, right? Being a dog handler is an all-encompassing job, especially being a SEAL dog handler. Or we use mastered arm handlers who also, I mean, think about their learning curve, having to try to keep up with SEAL tactics. And they know dogs, you know, they've handled dogs more than us. But, you know, the learning curve was a lot. We put in, you know, I had my SEAL responsibilities that you have to be extremely proficient at. And then you also have you're training a dog to do all of that. And, yes, and I, and I say when I say not Cairo worked nine years, that was he was nine years old when he retired. You know, he that's from puppy. I received him when he was two to three, or we received him when he was two to three. We retired him at nine, I guess. He didn't work for nine years. That That's crazy, though. I mean, like even five. the six years is crazy. Yeah, still a long time. A lot of a lot of people don't last that long. So, Yeah, no. yeah I barely did. Yeah, I hear you. Um, so I want to kind of talk a little bit now about uh, – which I, which I think is awesome when you're talking about he was – and kind of what Clover was saying is, is you know, he was a backup dog. So he was on deployments. He was ready to go just in case something happened. He was ready to go. So even when he wasn't the primary canine of that team, it, it's crazy to think that they were still out there and he was training and he was still 
being ready to go at a minute, minute's notice. Uh, so I want to kind of talk about the transition. So you transitioned, uh, you were medically retired from the Navy and from the teams. And like you said, you kind of went through some times and then you had the opportunity to uh, bring Cairo home. And uh, we have a lot of veterans that watch this and we have uh, some guys that have had TBIs and have got you know PTSD and, and all of that that encompasses. And it's just kind of great to have them tell their stories at times too. But I know that you've been very open, especially in the book, about your demons and how Cairo and, and Nala and your other dogs now, but how dogs in general kind of help bring you out of that darkness. And uh, is there anything that you could talk to about people out there that might be struggling that uh, if they don't have a canine in their lives, that maybe that might help them? Definitely, man. I mean, if you're a dog person, of course, since where they have service dogs, a buddy of mine that's Mark Simos, he just got himself a dog, and I can just see, I can hear the emotion. He's just happy. I'm, I know that dog's going to bring joy to his life. I think if you're capable, I mean, capable of taking care of the animal, taking capable of taking care of yourself and the animal, and you're a dog person, yeah. I mean, even if not. Having that responsibility, having that purpose can even just get you out of bed or something. But yeah, the, the, you know, service dogs are great. Having the dog when I'm frustrated. I learned a lot from the dogs. Even dog handling school, I went to Adler Horse. And that was one of the best courses I went to. You know, sniper school was amazing. That, that dog training course was amazing. I just, so much you can learn from these animals. But they don't speak your language, you know. You got to use your voice inflection and your emotions. They run up and down the leash. And for me, I'm a kind of quiet guy, so to... I learned patience, you know, all that stuff. I learned quite a bit of stuff. I guess I, don't know, I kind of lost track and went off on a tangent there. But oh, yeah, to bring it back. But yes, I definitely think the dogs can bring joy to your life. And of course, they make me in the be in the present too when I'm frustrated. And I got a lot of stuff going on with the book and on social media. I try to not stay too deep into that rabbit hole. <laughs> so if I don't yeah. respond, I apologize. Um, when I am, they can get me out of that world. They nudge me, feed me, or hey, hey, man. And I, I see the dog, and they, they live in the present. They teach me to live in the present. They don't think about what happened five minutes ago. They don't think about the future. They're like, hey, let's go play in the water. It's pretty much what they tell me all the time. And they get me out of my phone, and then <laughs> they do. Like, hey, hey, I want to go play. And like, all right, let's go enjoy life. And uh, you can use that with your dogs. You can use that with your family. You can use that with your coworkers, that being present thing. In the moment, having responsibility for a dog, I don't know, I guess, yeah. Uh, one part of the book that I, I guess I never really thought about this, um, when, when you said it, it hit me, I was like, oh, hell, I didn't even think about that. But through all these training times that you're doing for buildups or whatever, um, you made a comment that the dogs never realize their training. Even when they've got, they're attacking the guy with the big sleeve or whatever, every situation, that dog, in their mind, everything's live. Everything's real. They don't realize they're training. And that's fast. I didn't, I never, never would have thought of that because, you know, when you're out there and we're doing a workup or we're training, whatever, we know that we got to put work into this, but we know that it's a training exercise for the dogs. Every day is the real deal, whether it's training or, you know, downrange. Definitely. All those dogs want to do is work. Well, they want to make dad happy. They're high energy dogs. It's one of my points of I'll go out and watch Max or read a book and read my book. And 
think that these dogs are awesome and I want a Malinois or a Shepherd or any of these high energy dogs, a Husky, if you have an apartment, you can get one of these dogs, you don't put in the training to yourself for the dog and you come home, you're going to have a different apartment. It's going to destroy you. So the dogs need, all these dogs want to do is work. And I have two of them now. And if I don't, you know, I'm not working anymore, but I give them, they do things for me that I, I feel provides a service and I keep them ran i keep their energy levels where they need to be i feed them properly and uh, i keep their mind stimulated i uh, keeps me stimulated as well but i uh, definitely think that uh, you need to do your research before purchasing any dog i think you need to educate yourself train yourself on how to train a dog and then once you figure out what kind of dog you want you know how to, the best way and then every dog's different maybe duh your dog might love treats i have my boy his name is axe He's weird. He doesn't eat bacon. It would, he, at least he used to. He's getting better. He would eat, like spit out hot dogs, any sort of treat, definitely. He wouldn't accept. So to, to train him, I, he was toy. So balls is what he got his attention. Congles. Um, for my girl, she's treat-based, so I can do clicker training. Her dog's way more high energy. These are pretty low dogs. These aren't working animals. They're malamals, but they're fairly chill considering what I used to be around. <laughs> Some dogs might need a choke chain, a prong collar, and an electric collar as well. Whatever your temperament of your dog, whatever your dog's tritraction level is, is what we called it. And it's on you to use these tools, is what we call them, to the best of your ability and to train the dog to paint a clear picture, the clearest picture possible for your dog. And if you abuse one of these tools, it's on you. And I've abused the e-collar, let's be honest about it. I've maybe shocked my dog higher than I should have and I live with that and I'll never do it again you know maybe I, you know going up to instead of a three going up to a four or five and it's it's on you to do that or if I jerk the choke chain too hard that's on you you know your dog's titration level what it can take what it can how much feedback it needs you're, you're just painting a picture for a dog it doesn't speak your language so what would the mom do right, right. it would nip its neck pay attention get his attention that's all you're doing so when I give my dog a little pop on the collar it's just hey pay attention I want your attention you're not listening if I use the e-collar and I'm giving it a little juice I'm not blasting it at full blast and just right, right. to you're tapping it on the neck and I've, I've made mistakes yeah. on, on accident and I've shocked it higher than I should have and, you know I, I live with that I, I blast myself I put it on my neck and do it to myself I ran my Doberman once and didn't realize that is the concrete I'd ran him in a wall the next day, he, he had trouble walking. What I did, I went and bought I went and bought Vibram barefoot shoes, and I ran barefoot and in those shoes until I couldn't walk the next day almost. You know what I'm saying? It's on you. Clo I know Clover was going to ask maybe about diet, and, and I think it was maybe not necessarily about training, but actual um, in preparation for a workup for a deployment or something. Uh, Clover, you want to bring up diet or something? Yeah, I'm curious about diet because, I mean, that's something that obviously if you go on deployment, that's something that has to be considered in everything, right? For us, we were we just had our issue dog food, and we had the trainers and the people that ran that part to their research. I was just supplied with the dog food. These days, I'm definitely way more into diet, and I'm still learning. I wish I could give you more information on certain areas. I'm still, I mean, there's raw diets, and there's different dog food brands that are good and I'm still uh I mess with my dogs and try a, a, a variety of different foods and I also just go off their coat and their energy levels and feel off of that I've tried the raw diet for a while and I have different opinions on that and I don't recommend any brand specifically as of now but 
I think at least buying a, a decent brand dog food for your pet is, is very important. Just like a human, like if you feed your body crap, how are you going to operate? If you feed your dog crap, it's the same thing. So yeah, we, uh, we, but I just relied on the, uh, the trainers to make or whoever at the command to make that determination on what food they were given to us. And we just received the food and we gave it to our dogs and they did fine on it. Yeah, and I think something about what people don't realize also is now maybe it was different in the book you explained it was a little bit different at times for you, but uh, Cairo and all of the working dogs they stayed at kennel. You know they're not they're not with you at your house. Uh, now I think that there were times when the the terms visiting hours didn't apply to you, and, and no one really said much. You know, but it was kind of that loose understanding. But you know, most people don't realize that the dogs aren't necessarily with the handler 24. They don't live with them um, all the time. So I know that you said that you would, you would get them every now and then and, and he have a steak dinner and he, he, he knew when he was going to get a steak dinner and all that stuff. So I think that's pretty awesome. But uh, yeah, there was, there's a lot of stuff that maybe people don't realize that, you know, uh, there is a kennel. They, they have trainers, they have people. I'm assuming that they live a pretty good life inside that kennel. Do they not? When Cairo, <laughs> when I had to hand Cairo back off, and he was a spare dog. He was staying in the family. The person that I gave him to, he was a master at arms. He's, I knew he was in very good hands. And I also have to separate myself because that bond me and Cairo grew together pretty strong. So for, I need him to listen to other people. So I had to separate. It was not the easiest thing to do, but I knew that my buddies were like, he's over there with him. He's, he's just fine. He's being well taken care of, and they are they are well taken care of. You had the. It would be nice to take home the dogs every night, and on training trips, the dog was always with me. He was in the hotel on the trip. The dog was, Cairo was by my side at all times. He was even in the air with me when we were skydiving. You know, he's always there. But when we get back home, there's a kennel, and he stays in that kennel. Sometimes I get away, especially in the beginning, with bringing him home, especially after, you know, he got shot, fed him some steak. I felt like he deserved it, and then after a certain mission, he gave him steak. It's pretty cool. But there are certain dogs that should not have been taken home that were taken home. And to make it yeah. fair for everyone, just a blanket rule, no dogs at home. I understand completely. Yeah. Uh, hey, we are SEALs. We break the rules. Rules are meant to be broken sometimes, and I did break them. But, you know, to a certain extent, I was always, yeah, you got to pick and choose your battles. <laughs> yeah. I know that the dogs, they got to do halos with you and all that. So, you know, do they have a specific jump school they go to or do they go to jump school with you guys? And how early do they, can you kind of tell whether or not they're going to be able to handle that or not? I leave it to the more proficient jumpers. I was a, not a big fan of heights. It's one of my things. Same. <laughs> I, hate I worked with my dad building cell phone communication towers. That was, that was the worst thing ever because – I thought I didn't trust in my ability to climb. It was my ability to, like, what if I slip or a gust of wind? My ability to catch myself within 100 to 200 feet is not that great. But when you're up in the air, my, my father told, told, taught me to trust my equipment while up in those towers. Um, during, while you're in the air skydiving, just trust your equipment. And you always have a reserve. I still didn't love heights. Let's just be honest. I did my job. Oh, <laughs> I would push my luck. I pushed my luck on a plenty of other things. On that stuff, I didn't push my luck too much. And there was guys that are, they love jumping and they were called sky gods. <laughs> and they, they love jumping. They're, they could be doing some pretty amazing stuff in the air. So strapping a dog to their chest is, 
it's like putting a piece of candy in their pocket. It's nothing compared to some of the stuff they jumped before. <laughs> We'd hand the dog off to them, make sure they're comfortable. The dog, we, you know, with all the training we've done beforehand. So we're one big family. We're all one big unit. They're the uncles. They've trained. They've had hands on Cairo. They pick him up. They've hoisted him. They've petted him. They've Cairo's had the muzzle on him enough times, and then whatever the jumpers do to make him prepared and safe for the jump, they do. And um, they're so proficient, it's not even a thing. They're able to concentrate on making the dog comfortable. They exit, no issues. I know that Cairo's in good hands because I mean, those guys are pretty legit by then. And uh, the dogs well, always seem to like it. What's up? Yeah, I, I'm assuming there are dogs out there that, whether they like it or not, they don't do well during jumps. Does that take them out of the SEAL thing, or is that just for specific missions? It would probably take them out of the whole SEAL program. Okay. Uh, maybe we – I don't know. It just depends on – if there's a job that might be fitting for them, then yeah. Most of the dogs, they're pretty chill and mellow. There's this, I mean, we had one dog. <laughs> every He didn't like going up in planes. Sometimes he'd bite through the cage. <laughs> Wow. Uh, yeah, he was, he was a monster. He's an awesome dog, but you have him securely strapped to you. And, you know, everybody, you, you just put in the training ahead of time. So when it does come time to jump out of plane, it's not like, hey, I just picked up the dog and decided to strap him in. It's, it's very well thought out and prepared ahead of time, and everybody's comfortable, and we're proficient at it. And by the time we yeah, get that's out, that's not the dog was jumping out either. So they've, they've, it's already been through, you know, uh, it's, it's gone through its jump school as well, I'm assuming. It's been through some decent amount of training. No, they're pretty comfortable in gunfire, darkness, explosions. So, you know, these are pretty high-intense dogs. It's like a SEAL dog. Hey, you want to go skydive? Of course, if the dog would talk, yeah, let's go do this. Most of the dogs, from what I heard, I don't know. I've never heard of a dog freaking out. But, you know, I had the muzzle on just in case. And you jump out, and the dogs seem to chill. They seem to like it. I don't know. I never jumped a dog. I wish I would have had that opportunity. Well, they, they all look sticking their heads out the window. So, I guess this is just, right. you know a stronger wind, you know, um, with years of expertise and experience, Ariskany Arms is proud to be regarded as a firearms manufacturing leader. Every decision is inspired by the main mission, which is to prove the highest standard of product and services to both retailers and customers. Ariskany Arms took their expertise and introduced a line of full-size American-made series 1911, chambered in 45 ACP, 10mm and 9mm. So go check out the Hyperion Munitions website and click on the Ariskany Arms tab. Do the dogs go through different environmental training? I'm going to reword this question a little bit, but they do they go through different types of environmental training? Anything you can think of. There's a story in the book to relate to an ordinary dog. I don't want to give away too much, but it is a great story. It was um, That's all we did. That was my life. It's being a SEAL... You know, I, I partied, had fun on my off time, but that was my job. I love my job and trained for everything. I thought I was, you know, I was going overseas to um, be a dog handler. I wanted to not let the guys down because that could cost somebody their life. So I really dedicated a lot of effort into it. I tried to be prepared for everything. That wasn't just me. That was every single person on the team who loved it. So we did introduce them to every environmental thing that you could possibly think of, everything and then uh, my, one of my first stops with the dog, we open up the courtyard gates, and it's just packed full of sheep for some reason. I didn't plan that one. Okay, all right. That was the one that I didn't plan for. It's like, what is going on? How many sheep do you need? There's all sheep. 
<laughs> I wasn't sure how he would react. You know, I was fairly confident he wouldn't attack a sheep, but if he did, then that sheep's going to yell. It's going to cause trouble. It's going to cause chaos. We don't need any of that. So I had to adjust accordingly. We'll leave the, uh, what I guess, the tactics in the end of the story. But it was, uh, it was one of those scenarios. So, yeah, we, we, we do environmentals, everything that you can think of, explosions, even men on the, in the team. You're, you're doing environmentals with the dog, and everybody else in the team is putting hands on the canine as well and doing environmentals with them. They're flowing through the guys. Everybody's comfortable. Gunfire explosions, fast roping, anything that you can think of. Except for a courtyard so, sometimes, but put that on the list. Fast roping, not a problem. Um, what about spy rigging? I would imagine that that would not be fun to spy rig with one harnessed up to you. Yeah, I never did that. I didn't do. I did spy rigging. I think once early in my career, and uh, it was without cool. Cairo, without a dog, without a dog, and never got to use the gun. Without a dog, <laughs> it would have been fun. I would have totally been. Yeah, I would love. I would have loved to. Uh, one thing I would have never get to do was a lockout on a submarine. That would have been pretty cool. A lot of guys aren't big divers, but I love. You know, those work dives can kind of suck because they're all at night, so you're just staring at a compass basically. But I would have loved. You, to make, you follow what the you follow the air bubbles to find to keep make sure you guys know where uh, this the level is, or how do you guys? I mean, without yeah. giving too much away, how do you guys yeah. do that? Underwater gauges. You just go off your yeah. equipment. But it's all dark, so it's not fun. It's not like you're out sightseeing and exploring. You just have your equipment that you, you get where you need to go. And then once you get there, it's boring. It's boring as shit. And I mean, it's not boring. It's a uh, it's a challenge. So mess up, you know. So it's not boring. But it is kind of boring. It's not like you're sightseeing underwater. <laughs> but I would have liked to uh, do a lockout of a submarine. I thought that would be pretty cool. Now, do the sub guys, uh, you know, I mean, if you didn't, but I would imagine the sub guys, would they, do you think they would want the dog on, on ship or no? Well, I wouldn't want to do it with Cairo, just saying in general, but yeah, the dog on the oh, ship. Oh, you would have done that, yeah. Yeah, uh, dog, yeah, dog would have been fine on the ship. No okay. problem. I don't see why not. Problem. Yep. Uh, Over, you got anything you want to bring up? Yeah, but you were talking earlier how the, you know, how the, the, the canines go to the kennel. Know, when you guys are on leave or home or whatever um is there ever any issues with like a separation anxiety or anything with them when they're at the kennel or is that overcome by the the great care they take with them they take great care of them they're exercised multiple times fed multiple times or trained even if at the bare minimum they're fed multiple times and exercised and yeah even if so it's usually the people in your team take care of them but even if that team is not able to do it there's still another team that runs the whole thing that will take care of them so you somebody's always there to take good care of them yeah and they're kind of used to that the people in that team already that's what you're saying yeah one big family in other words big family well i'm uh they call it like we say it's like i'm his dad and everybody else is his uncles yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's pretty awesome um so let me ask you this real quick and this is kind of after you were retired, Cairo's retired, you know, for a dog whose life has basically been, uh, whether he knew it or not, the tip of the spear and high, you know, high speed, low drag his whole life, and then he retires, you know, how was the transition for him going from crazy, active, 
training to just being a did it did it affect him at all? No, he was great. He had some things during thunderstorms towards the end that was weird. I just hope I gave him a good enough life because I was going through some issues of my own. And uh, he did. He had a good. I bought a motorcycle, a sidecar. We had a boat. I just hope I gave him good enough. But yeah, we had a great time. I'm sure you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, transitioning into, if you if you don't mind, um, I, I know that. Um, you talk about it in the book and, and all of that, and I've seen other podcasts and, and shows that you've been on and talking about uh, the darkness that's out there with, with a lot of the guys that come home. No matter what branch, what you saw, everyone's got a, a tipping point, and, and sometimes people don't realize all that. For for the guys and gals that are still in and they're they're getting ready to transition out or whatever, can you give some advice to them and say, hey, you know, for that first month when, when you kind of separate, you know, this could be some dark times. Is there something you could maybe some advice you give to those that are possibly separating here pretty soon? Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, I didn't realize it was pretty naive. I figured it'd be easy for me. I jumped right into a job that I drank myself out of and it's probably the worst point that I played 250 pounds drinking myself to death. And it was, it was just a real bad place. I would say just have a, have a plan. If you can't have a plan when you get out and, uh, for me, I guess I just having that job and just kind of thought your ego takes over. Um, after a while, I just thought I was invincible. I don't know what's wrong with me. The only and it was my brain that was kind of messing with me. Along, I had my own personal issues with drinking as well. It's a big, huge issue for me. Yeah, I had some stuff going on with my brain, and when it's your brain, I just couldn't cu quite put my finger on it. It's kind of hard to figure out. It's very frustrating, and you know, with some other issues, losing some friends, and then putting booze on top of that. Excessive amounts of booze wasn't didn't put me in the best mental place and I didn't realize it. I was like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm, I mean, look, look what I've been doing for the last 13 years. I'm good. Everybody's good. The only reason I, <laughs> the only reason I can kind of look back and know that something was wrong with me was my hair fell out twice. Alopecia. My fingernails had fallen out. I don't know. It was like they just got brittle. I don't know if that was from stress, but I know the hair stuff was from stress. It was after the loss of some friends. It's not too hard to figure out. Um, but in my mind, I didn't. I thought it was completely fine. And then I get up to 250 pounds and basically was drinking myself to death. And didn't realize it. Just so come up with a plan and um, then just if you are in a bad place, I say this, but I didn't just uh, reach out to people. There's a lot of great organizations and there's a lot of great people that will help you. Um, I didn't reach out. I took a good friend of mine named Jared Shaw. He's one of my best friends. He drugged me to my first brain treatment place through the brain treatment foundation and that was kind of mm -hmm. my first step and on to some more recovery i mean the, the navy did a lot for me while i was still in but at the end of the day i wasn't able to fix some underlying issues that i was having they did everything good for me uh, but I'm, I'm saying if you're transitioning out um, you don't have good support through the va um, there, there are other organizations out there and they're good people uh reach out and I say that, and I know it's hard, and a lot of people don't, because I didn't even realize I was in such a bad place. Yeah. If you know of somebody that's in a bad place, maybe reach out to them. It might not do anything, but it, it might. And um, you know, yeah, there's good people out there that are willing to help. Yeah, for sure. Um, I <laughs> I've had experiences in the past. I'm sure everyone has that's dealt with the VA and known people that have had horrific experiences with the VA with certain things. Um, 
you know, when it comes to the TBIs and it comes to um, the darkness and all of that, how was, you know, how did the, did the VA help or how was your experience with the VA when you first got out? Were they helping or that you had to force a lot of stuff? Yeah, I didn't, my VA in the area wasn't the best. I know there are great VAs out there and I've heard guys have great results. Uh, for me, I just, I had some good instances or, um, situations, whatever you want to call it. And then, uh, I had some terrible ones. <laughs> no, I, I hear you. And I decided after, let's just say last time I went to the VA, they asked me if I was going to have a sex change. And I'm out. Okay. Last time I went to the VA. So I know there's great ones, but um, I know there's also really good people out there that are, um, that'll help you out. I was on some, yeah. some other, some brain health supplements, testosterone and some other supplements to try to help with my brain health levels. And, Mm. They're just not educated enough on that level, I guess. You know, they're educated in certain areas, and they're not educated, in, I guess that. And they, yeah, I had long hair at the time because I was uh, I wanted to grow it out after I got out, and want to see what. Maybe they thought that they just so they said sex change. I was like, no, that's <laughs> like, is it my hair? Is it what is it? Of all the questions. That's not the one that would come to mind. You know? I don't know what is it, but I think it was you know because they were I was on certain medications and they didn't understand. It was fine. I was like, okay. Yeah. We're not on the same level here. I need to go find something else. I was I actually had tore my bicep. I hoping someone, but anyway, I tore my bicep and I had was trying to get that fixed. And um, yeah, but there are some very good VAs out there, and I, I know I know things are getting better, and there are people that are working on improving. But if you're having trouble with the VA, there's other people out there too, and um, that's kind of why one of one of the reasons so, telling Cairo's story. I get to bring, I get to tell that's right. history, I get to talk about my dog, and that's all amazing. People love it. I love the feedback. Um, I get to bring attention to some of the guys I have to work with that are just amazing, and some of the guys that are now helping dogs. And then I get to help people with their brain health, which is very important to me. So it's pretty Absolutely. cool. And I'm hoping to build a pretty big platform to, you know, I can't do this all alone, but I know there's other people I'd like to bring us all together to kind of to help. Absolutely. I, maybe I won't be able to do anything, but I mean, just telling maybe my story once and helping one person sounds good to me. Point them to somebody else who's smarter than me, and they can help. <laughs> I don't know. You know <laughs> no, I hear you. Guys, if you go 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 buy this book first of all, it, it's 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 one hundred percent worth it. But what I love about it is the last third of the book. In my mind, is is broken into thirds. You had the, the first third was the seal training. So if you guys have any questions about buds and, and what it takes to be a seal, there is a section of the book in that. Then you have the time with you and Kyra. Then you have post-Navy stuff. And what I really love is you were extremely um, brutally honest about what your experiences were after transitioning and separating out, mm -hmm. um, which I think a lot of people may not be as forthcoming when they talk about that because I think they think, well, um, their pride's too high. They don't want to sound like they're weak. And and um, guys, you're out there, and we'll tell you. Yeah, your ego's a real thing. And if people that don't want to stop working, I didn't want to stop working. My hair fell out twice in huge clumps in different places. And what we did was guys would poke it and make fun of me. And it was everybody's a comedian. I didn't care. I didn't even, it didn't even click in my mind to stop working because yeah. I took it took everything I had to get there. So yeah. people don't want to stop working, and I get it. But eventually, the wheels are going to fall off. Possibly, I mean, some guys can go a million miles an hour for the, their entire life. Some people can't. 
sometimes the wheels come off. But I mean, I remember my literally hair was falling out. I'm like, yeah, hey, it's cool. We're working. And it's just a, ever since they poked my bald spot, it was now I just got to shave my head again. That was the only thing that went through my mind. Not so I get it. Um, people don't want to start working, and then everybody's got an ego. Ego is a real thing. If I could go back to my younger self. I would punch myself in the face as hard as I could and tell myself to learn about my ego. Like, yep. Yep. Let it go. Let it go. That's a um, and don't drink. This is a question where you get asked all the time, kind of lightening this subject a little bit here, but what kind of gear the dogs wear when they're working? Do they wear protective gear, possibly gear for others like med kits? I know what kind of gear that, that, that is being used. Um, the technology is fascinating. I don't know what you can and can't talk about, but if you can talk about maybe some of the stuff um, that that Cairo and other dogs wear when they're when they're downrange, I think it just is all situational dependent. How where are you at? How hot is it? How far are you going? What are you doing? Um, for us, I like travel light. I like to keep my dog light. If if Cairo was needing special equipment, I would carry it. I think everybody did, and put it on him when he needed it at the right time. Uh, we didn't wear ballistic vests because I'm not carrying those for him. That didn't make sense. You know, but that <laughs> just doesn't. Now, there's certain things I'll carry. You know, I don't want to get shot in speed. Once we get there, I want them to be fast. And right. we're working in the dark. I want to be fast in the dark. I want to be fast, and I know he wants anyways. But there are certain times, like police officers, where a ballistic vest could save that canine or any other equipment, a light that you can turn on and off or anything, um, a way to communicate with the dog, whether it's e-collar, a beep, a shock, anything. So there's different equipment that we use, but we, we just, I had a vest with a handle on it and um, an e-collar, a choke chain, a leash that hooked to my hip. Um, and we always had, see, I didn't wear doggles for him. I would, every time a helicopter would come in, I would just put his face into my chest and hold his face so he didn't get sandblasted. Oh, really? Okay. I got sandblasted. I just didn't want him. I, I could have carried dogs. Some guys do. And what else? Uh, I knew the symptoms have, uh, have nods, and and I don't know if that's something that is new or not, but um, I know that they have nods. They have GoPros that could be attached to, uh, to see where the dog goes in certain situations. You know, the, the technology's out there, I guess, for whatever you want to be creative with, isn't it? Technology's pretty crazy these days. You know, they got all kinds of different things you can use. But, yeah, it's all situational dependent. Do you want to be messing with that? Do you think it's worth it? What's the environment? But um, just we always carried a, definitely a medical kit for the dogs, not only just for us. Obviously, I carried a separate one specifically for the canine. And dog's anatomy is different than humans. So not only did I go through courses specifically for the dogs other men on the team would also learn how to put a tourniquet if you put a normal tourniquet that you twist uh, people out there it's a tourniquet you cinch twist it might work for you but on the dog it might slip right so there's special tourniquets that we would use that would hold if the dog is cut here arterially we need to get a, a seal here we have special things you need to know that uh, when Cairo was shot he was treated like a soldier he wasn't just treated like a dog the helicopter pilots that flew in to risk their lives, didn't have to come pick up a dog. They could have been like, we're not coming to get him, he's a dog. They came in just like, because he's a soldier. When he got back to base, surgeons worked on him. They might not have known the exact anatomy of a dog, but um, there were certain things that they did that they, they still saved his life, but they had to put tubes in his lungs. And, you know, there's courses, and we, we always try to stay ahead of 
power curve on anything bad that might happen. But that was one of the things. Um, we definitely carried a medical kit and we stayed proficient with it. Um, the night he was shot, it was just kind of crazy to see under such a terrible circumstance where I'm going to lose my dog. And most of the time when they get shot like that, they just don't survive. Sometimes they do. We did get a dog that was shot in the head. His name was Axe. <laughs> I love that dog. He made it, but a lot of the times the dogs just don't make it. Um, yeah. When Cairo was shot, it was just cool to see. I mean, one of the guys that came back having to be a medic, he knew he wasn't needed. Such a terrible circumstance just to see that kind of teamwork happen to save Cairo's life. And not only from me and him, from the pilots, from the guys who called in the pilots, from the yeah. medic on the pilot, from the surgeons that we got back, to the people that flew us to the vet, to the vets, to the people that rehabbed him in Lackland, I got him back 100%. So he was shot twice, and then we went on to do the big mission, or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's just pretty cool um, to look back at that. That's like, that's, that's a cool thing to just look back on. Yeah, and I, I love some of the stories you were telling uh, in the book, and uh, I love the fact that you you took a lot of time talking about the pilots, especially the Hilo pilots that are. I mean, you you talked about them about being the tip of the spear. I mean, they're the the best that you'd seen, and they like you said they risked their lives to come get a dog and take them take Cairo to safety so I love the fact that you know it's it's not just your team it's not just your squadron it's it's the whole shebang and, and sometimes you're uh, you know you've got time throughout your career you know you go across branch and all that there's guys that are going to fill their roles and it's pretty awesome I really did I really enjoyed it and I, I I'm not a big reader um, but I it took me two days to listen. It was about nine hours on the audio. It was about nine, nine and a half hours. Five days? Man, good job. No, well, but, yeah, I, I, but yeah, it was awesome. It really was. It was awesome. I, I found myself just listening. I was like, holy cow, we're going to keep going. You know? It's like a Navy SEAL Marley me. It's pretty good. It got the reviews. <laughs> the reviews that I read online, You know, I might not always check my Instagram, but it's I read the reviews and it's great. Like As long as we told Cairo's story right, which he deserves, we have, and it's amazing. It's perfect. It couldn't be happier. And then yeah. you, I think you were breaking up a little earlier. Like, yeah, nobody on the team was Chuck Norris. I mean, there were a couple guys actually that were – they probably could have done it by themselves. But, no, it takes, like, the intel people, the people that feed us, the, the pilots. The pilots are so badass. Those 160th guys, I just can't even say it enough. Like, the guy was like, I'll fly this heli the crash helicopter out of here. Like, that just kind of sums up that whole group of men. It's just – they're just awesome. Everybody. Every took everybody to – to, to, to do that job we couldn't just say he showed up we get everything done by ourselves it takes a team it does yeah it's interesting because you're kind of going through the book and obviously this was approved by uh, DOD and all of that so you could talk about it but I think it was hilarious that you were talking about that so most of the people when it first happened we heard that there was a helo crash and the way you told the story I had never heard that side of the story it was like well he kept it hovering which was unbelievable in itself to get the guys out. But then it was like, I can get this out. I can, I can fly. And it was, it was on the ground at that time, but he's like, I can fly this thing out. That's incredible. That's incredible. That pretty much sums up that whole group of guys right there. Those guys are awesome. And then that's just one thing. They, they took us to a lot of they're crazy. We used to see RPGs fly by the helicopters and they will fly in through some, 
stuff and they are no joke um little shout out to those guys uh, i'll shut up about it now but seriously uh yeah that guy did a controlled landing they crashed but yeah, considering the helicopter could have blown up and that mission could have went way different he not, he not only controlled landed that thing crashed it whatever you want to call it he's like i'll fly it out <laughs> i love that i love that story that's yeah. a great story pretty cool so will i want to give you some time and I'll, while you're talking about plugging the book wherever i've got a bunch of links there's the mcmillan books link that i'm going to put out there amazon's out there go check them out on facebook and instagram and all that but i want to give you some time to talk to the listeners out there and, and talk do your plug for the book and all that and i'll be putting the links out there while yeah, you're doing uh like i said it's, it's like a navy seal marley and me it's 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 a good read for anybody who loves animals anybody who especially loves dogs it's anybody that wants to join the military be a dog handler in the military um, be a seal I mean, it's just if you want to educate your kids, we just came out with the young adult reader version of it because we feel a lot of kids can educate kids. Kids love dogs a lot of the times. It's, um, when I was at, I donated Cairo's vest to the 9/11 Museum and was talking to one of the guys over there named Cliff. He's a real smart, great guy. He's like, a lot of people don't understand what 9/11 is. It's been so long, especially children. Good way to communicate the message. It's items that children relate to, whether it's boots or helmets, and children love dogs and we're hoping that i'm hoping or we are hoping that the children can you know if they want to kind of learn about what daddy does in the military or law enforcement what working dogs do anything just educate yourself child it's a good read we took out all that it's not a gory book to begin with it's um but it does yeah, it's not. yeah it just makes it so kids can learn it now so far the reviews on amazon have been very good for no ordinary dog and that makes me super happy you know, it's for Cairo, so perfect. Um, I'm hoping the Warrior Dog Absolutely. I'm hoping the Warrior Dog Edition is, does the same. It's one of my, my favorite books I've ever read. Thank you. And I did, can't take all the credit. Yeah, Joe. I, I loved it. It's one of my favorite. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. He definitely did. He did, he did that story very nice and uh, did a great job. Uh, yeah, there was there was a story that I mean, I'm not gonna lie, I got emotional um, listening to it. But it was about your trip. I don't want to give it away because people, if if nothing else, this story right here sums up, I think yours and Cairo's relationship. Um, you got to go read the book, guys. But the story about when you went to New York and uh, and all that. I I mean, I, I literally. Like, start ball. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, it was that whole situation with the 9/11 memorial and and all of the stuff that went on with that with uh, the book. You're not gonna be disappointed. I promise you. Uh, Will is there already talk about another book maybe coming along down the road? We'll see what happens. I'm just uh, <laughs> no pressure, right? <laughs> no, no, no pressure. I mean, honestly, I'm just focusing on the book. Really, is just for Cairo. So if I can spread it to as, I mean, it's doing great so far. People love it. If I can just spread it to as many people as possible, that's all I really, really want to focus on right now. And then, yeah, the the warrior, young reader, warrior dog. That's important too to me. I just want to get that message out there. And sure, if people, you know, I just want to talk about Cairo. I don't want to talk about me. But I don't know what else I'll write about. Um, 
people want me to write another book? Maybe, sure. I don't know. We'll talk about brain health. There's some yeah. something I can dive into as far as brain health or something. Then yeah, but as far as right now, I think we have a great story. I'm pretty biased, but I just want as many people to read it as possible. He was my dog. I loved him to death, and the more people that know his story, his legend will live forever. Yeah, it's 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 awesome. Like I said, it's one of my favorite books I've ever read, and. Um, you know, Will, I know that uh, a lot of people out there the whole time have been saying thank you for your service. I want to personally say thank you. Um, you know, I know that it was a job and it was what you did, and you probably looked at it just as that, that uh, professional side of things. But, uh, um, you know, there's a lot of people that you'll, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you should never have to buy another meal ever. Um, for no other reason, you you were part of the group that brought closure to America, and that was uh, a big, big deal. May first, twenty eleven. I remember um, I was watching a baseball game and, and broke in. The President Obama broke in and was kind of telling everybody. But uh, thank you for all that. I know Clover. I want to give you some time to come in and, and, and ask a question or, or say anything you need to. Will before we uh, sweep the floors up. You know, I'm not. I'm not following that. I just want to say that uh, it was a pleasure to sit here and listen to the Will story and and talk about Cairo. And I want to thank Will for coming on and uh, and telling that story and continuing to tell that story because uh, I, I do believe it is important. So thank you for that, Will. Thank you all guys very much. You just kind of reminded me of like remembering where you were. I remember where I was when the twin tower fell. I'll never forget it. And yeah, such a terrible event. Just remember how we all came together as a country. And then after we completed the mission, I got that feeling again, seeing that for that one second. It didn't last as long, but I saw it on the news, and it was like that feeling was amazing to see America come together again. And I can't wait for that to happen again here soon because we always will. So, oh, man. and I think Yeah, I was going to ask you that, but I didn't know how to – I was going to ask you, but I didn't know how to question uh, – the word the question, but, you know, knowing that you kind of grew up post 9-11 with the military and all that and you know when i was in with c-130s but uh, i'm sure you guys were in c-5s or 17s oh, or whatever but when you're on on the bird back you know that had to have been like one of the greatest feelings in the world saying you know, we got that fucker you know i mean um if nothing else it was closure for america and, and you guys obviously knew well before the rest of america did but that must have been a pretty awesome feeling it was it not yeah it was a moment i'll never forget one of the best moments of my life Knowing that everybody made it on back alive, we all made it. Like looking around, and wow, everybody made it. Like okay, and we did it. We accomplished. Yeah, we it. Yeah. Everybody survived, and it's done. And then it's like okay, now what? Um, we because we kind of a lot of guys didn't expect to make it back, possibly. So, but anyways, it was like that moment I'll never forget ever. And then watching the president address the nation with the body right there was yeah amazing too. It was it was good, and then. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it was awesome. It was a great book. Uh, Van Lenskin, thank you for all that you uh, that you do. I'm not gonna say what all you did, but you're, you all that you have done it and continue to do um, for the awareness of Cairo and, and the uh, mental health side of um, the darkness that people don't want to talk about necessarily. Thank you for bringing light to that darkness at times and. Um, you know, I think it's I think it's a big big thing that you've and I was asking you this in my final question. Did this book serve as a bit of therapy for you as well? I think it still is like just telling the story about Cairo. It's not it's never still easy talking about Cairo and all the stuff and 
got to be very careful with what I say and be very respectful of the men on my team. But absolutely, these dogs are heroes. The men, the men that I worked with are heroes. So it's been therapeutic for me as well. Being able to tell them and some of the experiences for sure that I've been through definitely helps. It's not easy, and I need to be respectful of what I say. But uh, I would say overall, yeah, fantastic. So. Uh, guys out there, like I said, go follow them on social media, you on Facebook and Instagram, No Ordinary Dog Book. Uh, go check them out on, on Amazon, on Macmillan Books website, the site. They've been out there, but I will put them in the description below as well. And I think they're already in the description uh, to where you can find all the links to get this book. And uh, get out there, support um, as many veteran organizations that you can, especially if they're dealing with mental health. Uh, we've got some brothers and sisters out there that are in some serious some serious uh, need of help right now. And like, like Will said earlier, we've been saying for a long time, if you think someone needs help, don't wait till tomorrow to send them a text. Call them or go see them today because tomorrow may be too late. Uh, get out there, be respectful. Uh, don't ask questions that you think are stupid questions, but sometimes, uh, hey, bro, how's it going? How was your day? Uh, do you need anything? Do you want to go grab a bite to eat? Sometimes those are the questions that could help someone get through that darkness. So, Will, thank you, thank you so much. Um, uh, Clover, thank you for helping out. I appreciate you, brother. And, Will, thank you so much. This was uh, a great treat for me. And, and I want to say, this is sincerely, I, I really, really love the book. So, thank you for your service. Thank you for all that you've done and, and continue to do and, and all that. Thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you guys very much. I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed the book. And, yeah, really, y'all have a great night. God bless. And thanks, everybody out there as well. Hope you all have a good night. Big shout out to our title sponsor, Hyperion Munitions. Go check out Veteran Ammo. Go check out Garrisar. Go check out Ariskany Arms. Great, great companies. All of them are under the umbrella over at Hyperion Munitions. Go check out HyperionMunitions.com. Thank you so much for watching and listening. We'll see you soon. Real quick, this is my PSA of the night. No crayons were injured during the recording of this podcast. We'll see you soon. Simplify. Well, thank you guys so much for watching and listening to this podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. To check out all of the episodes of the Jarhead podcast, plus all of our other podcasts that we're involved in and all of our social media platforms, go check out our website, ghosttactical.us. Once again, thank you so much for watching. We appreciate your time and always your support. We'll see you soon. Simplify.